0: in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. But there's a fun little poem by Robert Frost, you might remember from school, maybe not, but called Mending Wall. So in the poem, the speaker and his neighbor are walking along a stone fence line, as they do every year, and they're repairing any stones that have dislodged from the fence. Well, the speaker in the poem, as they walk, wonders, why is there a wall there anyway? It predates him. It's been there for generations. There's no livestock to keep in. On one side of the fence is the speaker's apple orchard, and on the other is the neighbor's pine grove. There's no risk of one overtaking the other. So we ask, why the wall? The, the neighbor, hearing the question, repeats a saying he learned from his father. Good fences make good neighbors. But why do good fences make good neighbors, the speaker wonders. What are we walling in? What are we walling out? Who are we trying to keep out? And without much thought, the neighbor again says kind of blankly, good fences make good neighbors. Well, the idea that good fences make good neighbors is a bit of a paradox. In some ways, it's true if we unpack it. We all can get along better if we know the boundaries of our relationships if we respect each other as individuals, pay attention to what makes each of us unique, we'll be good neighbors. But it's also true that a good neighbor is not one who never crosses the fence. If you stay behind your wall, you'll never be a neighbor at all. You'll be a solitary individual. So to be a good neighbor is to be willing to leave the boundary of your wall and to meet your neighbor on their land. There's a need to both embrace the limits of boundaries, of fences, of walls, but at the same time, to reject that the boundaries are universal. Boundaries can give definition. They can allow for individuals to be individuals. (coughs) A border around your garden can separate the plants you want from the weeds you don't want. But on the other hand, boundaries can be overly exclusive. They can be self-serving. Boundaries can turn us into old men who yell at children to get off their lawns. But our gospel lesson touches on this theme this morning. In this lesson, we see that the kingdom of God is both universal, it exists, and it even thrives outside of our narrow boundaries. But it's also particular because it's in the name of Christ that defines the boundary of the kingdom in this world. And so there's a warning in this text about how we define the church, but also a promise to those who define themselves by the name of Christ. So at the beginning of our lesson in verse 38, the Apostle John tells Christ that the twelve had just stopped a man from casting out demons in Jesus' name. And the word used for stopping here in Greek is the word that's used when a Roman tribunal vetoed a law the disciples were vetoing this man. They were telling him, no, your ministry is not approved by us. Vetoed. And ironically, it seems that John's telling Jesus this because he thinks Jesus is going to approve. He wants Jesus to tell him what a good thing they did. And John tells Jesus that they are vetoing this man because the man was not following us. He was not following us. That's quite to tell, isn't it? How did John define the boundaries of the kingdom? What wall did he put around the kingdom? For John, it seems, those in the kingdom are those who follow us. That is, who follow both Jesus and the twelve. Us. Well, that's interesting because the call of the gospel was always from Jesus to follow me. Follow Jesus. Follow me was the boundary that marked what it meant to be part of the kingdom. You'll remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his first disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, and he tells them, follow me. In Mark 2, Jesus goes out to the seaside. He sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, the tax collector, and he says to him, follow me. He doesn't say to Levi, follow me, and Peter, and James, and John, but he says, follow me. In Mark 8, which we heard just a couple Sundays ago, Jesus says to the crowd and to his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Follow Jesus. That's been the call of Christ throughout the Gospel of Mark. Follow me. And now John and the disciples have perverted it. They've changed it, right? They say, don't follow Christ. Rather, they criticize this man because he wasn't following us. The disciples, and their criticism of this man, they've made the kingdom of God about themselves. And it's not hard to imagine why. The twelve disciples were important. They're close to Jesus. They spend a lot of time with him. They're the ones who have a special commission, a special job to go out into the world and preach. James and John and Peter saw Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. There's no question that they have special insight and special callings. And in their mind, well, that deserves respect. If this man wants to cast out demons, that's all well and good, but he needs to get it approved by us. He needs to spend time with us. We're the ones who know what's up. But in worrying about their positions of authority and their special status, they forget what the good news is all about. The good news is about Christ. The good news is about the forgiveness and healing and identity given to us through jesus and the good news that they are to share with the world it's not centered around them it's centered around the name of christ and the disciples miss it because they're so hung up on themselves their uniqueness their power their authority well how often are we guilty of the same sin as the disciples How often do we want to make church make our faith make this congregation make our relationships other something other than proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ I came across a quote from a Southern Baptist author Tom Rainer who says in one of his books when the preferences of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel the church is dying that's the definition of a dying church right it's not that the church is small not that the membership is older, not that there aren't financial resources. That doesn't define a church. A church begins to die when it gathers around something other than the gospel. When it begins to gather in something other than the name of Christ. And so as a congregation, as people of faith, there's always a need to come back to whatever we do and ask. Are we doing this in the name of Jesus or are we doing this because it serves us? I heard the story of an older faithful Lutheran lady who was absolutely dead set against adopting the green hymnals in the early 80s. The congregation had voted and decided to slowly transition from the red service book and hymnal, and they decided that they were gonna get used to the green LBW. Well, she was so mad about the transition that she would come to church and sit in the narthex, the whole service. She came to church, she was not going to miss church. But she wasn't singing those updated hymns. She wasn't using that language. She had in mind that the church was one thing. It was the liturgy of the Red Book. That's what she knew. That's what she preferred. And there could be no Lutheranism without it. Well, worship became about her preference. What she knew. It wasn't first about asking if Christ was central in their worship. Well, we can all get caught up in our positions. We can all get caught up in what we think we know. We can put on blinders. We can think we know God's kingdom. We can think we know the boundaries of God's kingdom. But the kingdom can surprise us. And what's surprising is that God's mission to the world is so often accomplished when we act in the name of Jesus. No matter how small and insignificant that action is, as long as it is in the name of Jesus, God promises to use it. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 41. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Even the simplest, smallest act done for the sake of Christ has eternal benefits. But it's when that act is done for Christ, when it's done in his name, The direction of the action is not about a person benefiting themselves, but about participating in Christ's love for the world. And it doesn't take heroic acts, it doesn't take the rich and powerful, rather it takes faithful acts, faithful acts done in the name of Christ. And so we have to look up at the fences we put up in our lives and ask if those fences are put up in the name of Jesus or in the name of ourselves the fence that the disciples were putting up around Jesus' ministry, it was self-centered. It was clearly about preserving their power and their authority. It was not about Christ, nor was it about loving their neighbor. They were interested in hoarding the power of the kingdom for their own status. They didn't cheer that in the name of Jesus the person was healed. Rather, they were threatened. What this gospel teaches us is that the correct fence we are to have is christ we define our boundaries by christ we don't define our boundaries based on our preferences based on power based on money based on pleasures of this world but our boundaries our lives our relationships they have to first be defined by christ and when we define our lives through christ we then must define them through the cross jesus in the gospels is the king who's determined to go to the cross, to bring the riches of heaven to the world. He does not need the company of men who are just interested in maintaining their own power. Rather, he calls them to pick up their cross and to follow him, to give up everything for the sake of God, for the sake of their neighbor. And so the fence to put around your own heart is Christ. The boundary that defines how you relate to your family is Christ the vocation, the calling you have in your community, is Christ. We don't define ourselves as exclusive people, self-serving people, rather we define ourselves as people who act in the name of Jesus. In the name of Christ, you go about your daily activities. In the name of Christ, you pick up your kids from school. You go to work, you go to your grandchildren's games, you spend time with your friends, and in the name of Christ, you are careful about how you might limit the Lord's work. God was working through a man who was not following the disciples. Christ says God will work through someone giving a mere glass of water. Don't limit how God will work in you and through you. Through your simple acts, through your simple prayers, through your simple faith, God will work through you. And it doesn't matter that you don't have all the right words. It doesn't matter that you don't have all the theological training. doesn't matter that you don't know all the answers. In your simple faith, God will act through you. It doesn't matter that you have sins in your past that weigh you down. Because Christ has offered forgiveness to you. Christ is calling you to follow him. And in his name, to show the goodness of God to the world. Don't get caught up in any boundary, any fence, any wall that isn't shaped by God's love for this world. Amen.